Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of Shelter in Play. Uh, on this episode we sit down with Chris Eli Black and read his short play Growing Up, A Questionable Parable. Chris wrote and co-produced the film The Brothers Survivor, which is an award winner at the Worldfest Houston International Film and Video Festival. He is a two-time Poetry Slam champion and was commissioned by the Louisville Arts Network and Lift Up Lou to create his performance piece Hope, Living as a Black Man in America. His works have been produced, performed, and or published by Illuminate Theater, Earworm Audio Theater Podcast, Invisible Disco Productions, Next Generation Stage Directors, The Log Lounge, and The Little Red Theater Company, among others. We're super excited to have Chris on the show this week, so without further ado, we present to you Growing Up, a questionable parable, featuring Roan Ricker, Talia Sindel, and Teray Watson. Lights up. Emma sits, wrapped in a blanket, her hand gently straddling a cup, dressed like a Renaissance princess. She looks up at the moon, looking both at peace and at thought. Cam enters wearing a long trench coat, holding on to it tightly. He stands beside Emma, waiting for her acknowledgement, but receives none. He nods his head and slowly starts to walk past her, then looks back, again waiting for some kind of recognition. Still nothing. He moves closer in her direction and gently taps her arm with flip-flop foot. She looks up at him. What? I hope that's coffee in that cup. It's tea. I don't need anything else keeping me up right now. What's keeping you up? What do you think? You can't be serious. How much did you make tonight? Let's see. He drops the trench coat, revealing that he is wearing nothing underneath but a Speedo. He pulls a wad of cash from the crotch area and hands it to Emma, who starts counting it. Apologies if it's sticky. Friday nights are exciting. Congratulations! You made enough for the light bill. She moves her hand into a fist, creating a faux microphone holding up to Cam. How does it feel knowing that your ass literally saves our ass every month? He pushes her hand away and takes the money back. It's temporary. That's what Ash said. It's true. You know it is. You remember when he got that job. It was just to bring some extra money in, right? It's no big deal. <laughs> now look at him. He's made it his life. <laughs> you can't hate him for having a career. No, but I can strongly dislike him for leaving us behind as soon as he does. No one said he's leaving us behind. Tomorrow? No, later on today, he's going to pack up that moving van and drive to some fancy townhouse on the other side of town. Me? I'll still be here, not being able to sleep worth shit, and you'll still be swinging your dick around for old women and divorcees. Beat. Cam looks ahead. He has no argument. In some way, he knows she's right. We had a plan, you know? The four of us, from day one. Now I don't know what to believe. Should I have... <laughs> I don't know, stayed in school for my master's? I could have gotten my PhD by now. Maybe could be the head of some big corporation that saves koalas and shit. And you, you could be in France. You always wanted to live in Europe. You could be doing that right now. But none of us did those things because we dedicated ourselves to becoming superstars together. We're not dead. Everything isn't over. No, we're not dead, but we're dead broke. 
<laughs> getting any younger or skinnier. Damn it, I can't even make a resume. It'd just be a long list of waitressing jobs that I quit after two months. My mom won't answer my calls. My dad stops sending money. My brother is getting married. <laughs> my sister is opening her own bake shop. My other sister is going to prom with a guy named Reginald. Reginald. It's like I'm in an episode of Black Mirror, but instead it's called Broke Bitch Mirror. I can't even afford a mirror. Um, so it'd be like black looking at my reflection in other people's car windows. I don't know what you want me to say. Something. Fine. Something. Okay, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. Look, I don't know why we haven't blown up yet. I mean, I really thought we'd be somewhere bigger by now. Our first song was so powerful, I was sure it would catch on. Our first song was called Ebola, and we wrote it while Ebola was still a thing. Exactly. It was relevant. It was a love song. It's called deceptive marketing. Oh my god. What? Oh my god. God, my uh, we suck, don't we? What? No. We do. We're awful people. Literally, no one has ever told us that we're any good. If we weren't any good, we wouldn't still get gigs. We've never had a real gig. Oh my god. We perform at open mics. At Starbucks. Jesus Christ. Stop talking like that. Stop thinking like that. We have 300 followers on Instagram. We're growing. But we follow 1,000. She falls to her knees and covers her face, making crying noises. Cam looks around and then falls to his knees as well. We do suck. I'm gonna have to apply at the dollar store. And you know they can't pay a lot because everything is a dollar. <sighs> he covers his eyes and making crying noises too, then quickly looks up and stands, his face one of revelation. Wait. I got it. I got it. Stand up. I'll get up after I hear what you have to say. Hear me out. We can write a new song. Oh, kill me now. That's a good title. As I was saying, mm. we can write a new song about this moment. Like how we're feeling right now. It would be beautiful and personal. <sighs> we can write the next Stand By Me. Yes! Where's my guitar? He turns around and grabs his instrument, sitting down and starting to pluck at chords. Okay, we need a catchy chorus. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm done with stripping down. There's no more catching up. I'm done with flipping burgers. There's no more. Blah, blah, blah. Some other stuff. Uh. He searches for approval from Emma. She chews her fingers, and after a breath... That's fucking genius. Yes! <laughs> Let me get my notebook. He continues trying to play the guitar as she looks around for her notebook. Because of her dress, she is not highly mobile, so to kneel down or bend over, she has to go incredibly slow. Each move calculated. She reaches under the couch and pulls out a basic composition book. Success! She slowly rises back up. 
You got a pen in there? Shit. She slowly lowers herself again, reaching under the couch and retrieving a pen. She comes back up. Okay, now, write this down. I got an itch I can't scratch. I swipe right, but don't match. I thought I was a pretty good catch. I should probably stop lying about having cash. Johnny Cash. Hmm. <laughs> Play on words. I like it. She opens the notebook and a photograph falls out. Both friends freeze, looking at the fallen piece of developed paper. No one moves, no one speaks. If anything, the only thing we can hear is their breasts getting heavier and their hearts beginning to beat quicker. That's not your notebook, is it? Emma reaches down and picks up the picture, gazing at it silently, then sits, still focused on the photograph. We took this one at graduation. She was so pretty. Yeah. Beautiful. Cam quickly stands, gripping the guitar. He turns his back. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to start anything. It's cool. I mean, really, I wasn't thinking about... I said it's whatever. Let's just finish this song. Ham sits back down, Emma accepting his stance. He tries strumming something, but nothing sounds right. He tries humming, but it all comes out disoriented. He gets frustrated and hits on the guitar, placing it down on the couch in a fit of frustration. We're never going to make it, are we? I really don't know. I hope so, but I can't be sure. Can I see it? The picture? Could you imagine where she'd be right now? <laughs> oh, man. My imagination isn't even that big. I bet she'd be some kind of supermodel or something. We'd definitely be famous because she would hit it big and bring us along. <laughs> She'd never leave us behind. What do you call an influencer? She'd be an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> she loved you. Don't. Don't do that. Say things like that. <sighs> like what? Like that. I don't want to think about things like that. About stuff that could have been or should have been. I'm dealing with a lot of what ifs right now. And the last thing I need to do is think about what, about her. I never had support from anybody. Nobody. Not my family, not even friends in high school. It was always something like, leave that art stuff alone and find something real. You're different. I'm not. I get it. But you don't. I remember meeting your parents when we all went to your place that one Thanksgiving. They had a whole shrine to you in the kitchen. <laughs> it wasn't a shrine. It was a refrigerator. Yeah. That. What's up with that? They had drawings on there from when you were five. Only two types of parents keep those things. Supportive ones and hoarders. My family barely talks to me anymore. Not because they think you're a failure, 
Only because he kept asking them for money. What do you want me to say? Nothing. That's the point. You can't say anything because it's not on the same playing field. And that's nothing against you, it's just facts. My family looks at me and wonders, what the hell is wrong with me? How I can still have any passion. It doesn't make sense to them. And the fact that I'm not making it anywhere certainly doesn't help. I don't even know what's right or wrong anymore. He holds up the photograph. For the first time, we get a glance at the girl in the picture. She is just as beautiful and youthful as they describe, or at least seemingly so. Look at her. <laughs> Bethany was the perfect person. She had everything. The family, the money, the looks. Hell, the real reason we're still afloat in this place is because her grandfather owns the building. And where is she now? That's not a rhetorical question. I mean it. Where is she? Answer the question, Emma. We both know where she is. I forgot. No, you didn't. Remind me. This is cruel. The question. She's dead. Okay? Are you happy? Throws herself down on the couch and crosses her arms. There's a grift between them. Ash enters wearing a suit. He looks around at his silent, separated roommates, briefcase in hand. I feel like I missed something. You've missed a lot since you have to work so late nowadays. Right. So I sense a really negative energy in here and I'm not sure exactly why. So I'm gonna get something to eat and come back and maybe we can talk about it like adults. Starts past Cam then notices the photograph in his hand. What? Where'd you find that? He found one of her notebooks under the couch. Can I see it? No. Why not? I don't want it to get stained. Don't you have boxes to go pack or something? No. I'm all packed. Oh. Hmm. Is that what this is about? All right, then. I see. You guys can't be serious. You're upset at me for moving out? It's just funny that it didn't take you too long to forget everything we agreed on. Uh, agreed on? You mean all that stuff from college? About being the next big group? Y'all still believe that crap? Until a little while ago, we thought you did too. Nope. No, mm -mm, no, no, this is, oh no, this is what we're not going to do. We're not going to make me the bad guy when I haven't done anything wrong. You don't just leave your friends behind. Leave? What? No one is leaving? A true friend would be supportive of my decisions. They would be proud that I'm making something of myself. What does that say about us? It's not about you. Or you. Or anyone else. <laughs> How humble. Cameron, you're a stripper. I am an entertainer. 
you take your clothes off while music plays and dance around. Yeah, for entertainment purposes. <laughs> and Emma, you're a, a, I don't even know. I'm a noble princess, you dick. You two live in this fantasy world where anything is possible. This isn't Disneyland or whatever the hell you think it is. Things change. People change. I mean, look. At what? At us. We're almost 30. This isn't make-believe anymore. It's not fun. It's scary to think that I could be one of those 40-year-old guys playing my banjo at some seedy bar in Tennessee with my cover band. Listen, let me explain this to you. Great, a lecture. Let's look online for just a second, shall we? What do we find? The most famous people aren't near 30 musicians with no money. They're 13-year-old dancing, or they're 13-year-olds dancing around in their bedroom to someone else's song, bringing in six figures off of one video that has absolutely no content except their daily life, which, by the way, is not even that exciting. Look at this video. Six million views in 13 hours for a person feeding chocolate to a hamster. Come on, people. Way to kill a dream, bud. I'm going outside to smoke. He exits. Cam and Ash are alone. And then there were two. Yeah, for how long? Just because I'm not sleeping in the same room as you doesn't mean that we can't be friends. She thinks you're leaving us behind. Forgetting everything. I don't see why. Because you've stopped dreaming. Because rich people don't have real dreams. They dream about their next vacation or a Christmas bonus. Nothing like us little guys with nothing to offer. It's not even like that. Says who? That's my point. Who makes these decisions? Who says who succeeds and who doesn't? Who gives in or gives up? It's all about the money, though. Money this, money that. You'd probably marry an ATM if it said yes. What was your childhood like? Do we really have to do this now? This might be the last time we get to do this. Was it a normal upbringing? Bike riding in the summer? Football in the fall? I guess. Something like that. Exactly. Now let's compare. My mom worked in a warehouse from the time she was 16. Outgoing packages, stuff like that. An honest enough living. But my pops, he worked construction. And every day he'd come in, it'd be like something out of an old sitcom. He'd sit in his favorite chair, drink a cold beer in front of the TV. And on the really long days, he'd call me in and tell me to sing something to him. And I would. He had me sing to him at least three times a week. The funny thing is that he nearly choked me out when I told him I wanted to be a musician. 
I still don't know how to ride a bike, and I could give less of a shit about football. I love what I do. Ash stuffs his hands in his pockets. Let me see the picture, man. Cam hands it to him. She kept us all together. Can I keep this one? Sure. Look, I'm not gonna forget anything. None of it, okay? But things are just different than they were five years ago, or even five months ago. I gotta make my life. And this just isn't it anymore. One of my co-workers, a guy named Charlie, came into the office the other day with his son. He couldn't be any more than, I don't know, two or so. And I actually started thinking, wow, I could see myself with that. With Charlie? With a kid. <laughs> really? I mean, I saw you drink beer out of a guy's asshole once. <laughs> That's the thing. All that doesn't even excite me now, man. It's nothing like that to me. It, it, it's nothing to me. It, it's, it's like, that's a whole different dude. And you two got to understand that. I can understand it. Doesn't mean I agree with it. And you know, you know what? That, that's fine. That's great. But just like you want me to support you and your stuff, I need you to do the same. Deal? He holds out his hand. Cam takes it and shakes it. We're going to be all right, right? Emma and me? I got no doubt about it. Cam takes the guitar and hands it over to Ash. I'm not giving up, though. <laughs> I hope you don't. We were pretty dope, weren't we? We had our moments. Well, I'm going to take a shower, get some sleep. It's been a long night. I hear that. Have you ever been groped by 20 Jewish women for four hours? Then you will never understand. <laughs> Cam appears to want to walk away, but freezes. What was it like when you found her? I don't know, man. It was pretty messed up. I miss her. I do too. A whole lot. I'm going to make it. For her, if it's the last thing I do. I believe you. Cam nods his head, and a small smile traces across his mouth. He exits. Ash is now alone. He sets the guitar down to the couch and stands, can't be his eyes on it for a few seconds. He reaches behind the couch and pulls out his old graduation cap. He pits it on and starts to laugh at himself. He grabs the guitar and plays a few simple chords, 
a jubilant look on his face. He stops, pulling off the cap and gently placing the guitar back down onto the couch. He forms his fingers into the rock and roll position and backs away as the lights go down. The end. All right. Well, welcome to Shelter and Play, Chris. Uh, finally glad to have you on board um, and super yeah. excited to sit and chat with you. Same. So uh, why don't we just dive right into it? Um, growing up, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about where uh, that one came from? I uh, found it to be a super relatable piece <laughs> being in my mid-20s. So Yeah, I think yeah, the show just came out of, I think, being an artist and feeling like I might end up living in a box one day because uh, it's not exactly the path that's recommended and it's not exactly the most secure path uh, in the path that your family always uh, expects you or wants you to go down, whether you know they support you or not. I think it's always a stress point of, mm -hmm. okay, it's glad you have something you love. <laughs> now, how are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to make the money? Um, and just, yeah, focusing on that and wanting, and I guess it was kind of like therapeutic because it was just like me putting my own voice into three different people um, and three different sides of myself mm -hmm. is the side of myself that's like, I want to keep doing this until I, you know, I believe in myself. I'm going to keep doing this until something happens. And then it's the side of myself that's like, if I reach, you know, 35 and I'm still in the basement, you know, writing plays that no one wants to read or, or put up, am I still going to love it as much? Am I still going to want to do it? Or am I going to go take that office job and, and uh, make a ideal life for myself? So I guess it just came out of that. Um, and it was also written at a time that I wasn't writing much. I was focused on other stuff. Uh, and so just to be able to sit down and just voice these feelings was, you know, was good. And then it came out, okay, so <laughs> that's good too. How much of everything was of personal experience? There's a lot of very specific things from the <laughs> stripper friend to the Renaissance dress that feels, that feels almost anecdotal. It's too specific. Not to have not to have uh, impetus from somewhere. So is any of that something that you? Uh, I will say I am not a stripper. I will put that, I will put that on the table now, so that, so that my grandparents don't freak out. I am not a stripper. <laughs> I am an entertainer. No, um, I I, it, I I haven't done any of those jobs. I know people who have done those jobs. Sure. I've known strippers. I've known people who have performed at Renaissance festivals. And, and stuff like that. And I've known people who have gone corporate and who, and who have given up on their dreams. Um, but I think I used random jobs, but the experiences um, are more anecdotal. So like, oh, you made enough to pay the light bill. You know, I can get a check for doing something and it's only $200. And I'm like, okay, can't pay the rent, but guess what? I, I got lights. <laughs> I got lights. I, I, I have water for I got lights. I might not have a home, but I got the lights on. Um, and so, it's just like those uh, those little victories um, 
or coming home after a long day of work and not wanting to be bothered or thinking that you that you struck genius and then you you play it or you perform it for someone else and they're like that's a piece of shit like that's not good at all and you have to either you have to decide do i want to give up on this or do i want to keep working on it and keep developing it and mm-hmm. so so yeah it's all it's always a little bit of truth sprinkled in mm-hmm. with a little bit of fluff around it i mean i think all the best writing kind of is yeah. um I mean, I definitely know when we uh, read the piece that like the the staging and costuming were a huge talking point. Um, I think after we actually finished reading, uh, yeah. just cause like, man on stage, that would just add, it adds just such another layer to the conversation. Yeah. Like how seriously can you take someone in a noble Renaissance princess's dress while they're <laughs> exactly. sitting there defending the hell out of their, <laughs> you know, <laughs> thoughts, feelings and, art yeah same goes for the speedo like or the speedo the entire show yeah i appreciated the choice to like keep him on the entire time he wasn't the character to go out and smoke a cigarette he was like no i'll have this oh, conversation no. i'm we gotta so keep the speedo guy on <laughs> <laughs> um so you said you wrote this one in a period of time when you weren't writing all that much. Um, yeah. Has that kind of changed? Um, how does it compare with like what you're writing now? Oh man, yeah. I Since this whole quarantine thing happened, um, I feel like I became a writer again. I think I've always, you know, my mom when I was young was always like, you should be a writer. I think you're good. I think that's what you need to do. And anytime your family says, oh, you should do this. You're like, oh, I need to do anything but that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then, then in high school, uh, we had this poetry night thing and music night. And a buddy of mine was like, hey, we should write stuff and audition. And I was like, yeah, whatever. So we go and he misses the audition. So I'm alone and I'm like, uh, this isn't any good or anything. So I say the thing I've written and the people auditioning with me applaud. And it's a man, it's what I imagine a a junkie feels like when they take their Mm -hmm. first hit. It's like, oh, I'm gonna do this the rest of my life. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. This, this is the shit right here. And I, and from that day on, I really just kept writing. And then I started performing, and that takes up hours of of your day and so yep. much of your week that I kind of stepped back from writing and was like, well, I need to learn these lines, not write new ones. Um, and I actually wrote this piece before the pandemic. It was after I had finished performing in a show, but before the pandemic. And so I just kind of sat down and was like, if something comes out, something comes out. But yeah, since this whole insane time has happened, I've had nothing to do but write. Like I, I've written so many things because I have nothing but time to, and I can go through Google all day and just look for opportunities or go on Instagram and be like, oh, I don't know these people, but let me email them and see, <laughs> and see if they need anything. So yeah, you know, I think it's every bad time has a good thing that kind of comes out of it and the time that I've been able to spend writing and creating and connecting with people I wouldn't have otherwise met from different places uh has definitely definitely been a plus so you said you're a senior in college currently uh is there is there a focus that you're more leaning to the performing or the writing or well I'm majoring in liberal studies which means which basically means indecisive so (laughs) i just take classes of every concentration and minoring in english uh 
so so yeah that's kind of my way of saying okay i'm not gonna like major in anything that's artsy in case i want you know a job uh but but it's still enough openness in the education to where i can be like i can focus on anything and i can still do these things that i want to do that's awesome that's that's a re- i think a really strong use of your time um especially yeah given all the circumstances now and how, you know, education had to just pivot, you know, from the ground up in light of all this. Um, so segueing, you kind of mentioned it already, but, um, you know, we've all been affected by the pandemic and having to isolate and it sounds great. And you've been writing, um, have you been doing any reading or what's been the, what has been inspiring you to do all this writing that you've been doing? Um, I, I don't know. I think what always inspires me is just telling human stories and just telling stories that wouldn't otherwise be told or told in the way that I might imagine them or envision them. And so it's just really going back into my memory bank saying, okay, what's this event that happened in life or, or what's this person doing? And, and, and just going into my mind and just making things up and creating things and drawing from news stories. I spent a lot more time on the internet um, <laughs> recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not going to say everything I've been doing on the internet recently, but, <laughs> but, but I've been able to spend a lot more time on it um, since being alone. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just trying to find those human stories and just, looking at things and saying, okay, well, how can I switch the perspective? And what would this person say if they were put in that situation? So I've just had a lot of time to think about these things and a lot of time to just reflect and then use those reflections and put them in a theatrical format. That's, that's awesome. And it helps so much um, being on both performing side and the writing yeah. side, because you can really kind of check yourself and if you can perform it yourself and write things where you're interested in doing, that's, that's a really yeah. hard thing is going, oh, is this interesting for the performer as well? Yeah, and I think I have a much more respect for actors. Um, like you said, being both on the performance side and the writing side, as a performer, you see how much time that stuff takes and how much dedication and how much uh, of your own mind that it takes to to make that all work. And so I, I love writing for actors. Uh, I, you know, I, I could never do anything like that has to do with superheroes or anything because that's so <laughs> not as much act, action and dialogue driven as it is. Um, explosions and how much money can we spend on this, you know, set piece or whatever. And it's fun to watch, but I can't ever see myself doing it because I'm just like, okay, but like, I want to see their conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see the argument before this fight happens. I want to you know what, what are his daddy issues? Like, I want to know, all, <laughs> you know what comes, I want the drama. I don't want the action yeah. as much. So yeah. And I think writing, the more I do it the, and the more I meet different actors, who are different processes, I just get a much more of a respect for them. Well, the nice thing about growing up is while it is very specific in parts, it is also uh, the set is broad enough so that you can do it with such minimal and also it really leaves room for 
actors to pit a lot of their own stuff. Like it gives them yeah. a really great outline of what you need to do, but it gives them enough room to pit a lot in them in there themselves. It gives a lot of uh, opportunities to pit own personal experiences, uh, mm-hmm. especially uh, the loss of a friend. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like a lot of that is, um, you know, I haven't had any close friends necessarily die, but I've had a lot of close friends just kind of who I've seen change in the new people. And mm-hmm. you have friends in high school who want to do the same things as you and friends in college who want to do the same things as you. And then next thing you know, they're like, well, that was a dream. I'm going to the military now or I'm doing yeah. this now. And it feels like, you know, that person you knew died. And and it feels like, am I, what am I doing? It, you know, if they who are much more talented and smart than I am uh, gave up or decided to change lanes, what am I doing? What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with the 24 hours I'm given? Am I working towards something and becoming something or am I wasting my time? And I feel like that's something that all of us, not only people in the arts deal with, but anyone. I imagine medical students um, who spend a lot more time studying <laughs> and, and doing things than we do are probably like, okay, I can read Latin, but can I take someone's heart out without killing them in, in this hospital room? Uh, and so I imagine we all have those thoughts of like, am I doing the right thing and am I doing it for the right reasons? Absolutely, man. That's <laughs> well said. Like, really, really well said. Um, one of my favorite things about this script that our actors really focus on is how it really just captures like a moment in time. Like, it feely, feels like we were just dropped in the middle of a situation and are like experiencing these people still processing grief at different stages of grief and that grief is informing how they want to move forward in their lives, pursuing or not pursuing those dreams that they all once held on to. Um, have you, have you thought about expanding on that and making, you know, maybe like a pre a prequel act or a sequel act to it? Well, I'll say this. I think that when I said, you know, before that it was kind of therapeutic, I think that is more so than I realized because I hadn't really read it until I got in touch with, you guys and so I went back and I read it and then I was like I think I've written this play like three times with three different characters in each version like when I look back and read it I was like I think I've written this with different titles and character (laughs) names and situations a lot of times like like to the specifics and I was like I think I might have a problem (laughs) like I think I I need to deal with some things so you know I don't know if I thought about expanding it necessarily, but I, I think I do want to continue telling stories like that. And like you said, mm-hmm. I, you know, something I don't, I don't like plays that I have to sit and listen through a bunch of exposition. I don't like, or movies or TV shows. I don't yep. want to know where you're born, how you met this person. I can figure it out based on how you look at them or how you talk to them. I don't need you to tell me, hey, because that's just not even realistic to me. When I'm talking to someone I've known for 10 years, I'm not like, hey, you remember 10 years ago when we met at this place at this time? Because I don't need to. And and anyone around me would be like, 
why do you need to remind them of that? Um, you just need to see like, the relationship. You don't. You need, just need to see the relationship. Yeah. If the if if your and, actors and your creative team do the work, you'll yeah. see that. You'll feel that. You'll get that. Yeah, you'll feel that communication, and you'll see that kind of camaraderie or companionship through. I think expressions say a lot. I think the way you look at somebody. I might look at you one way, and I, you know, just meeting you, but someone I've known my whole life. I look at them differently and we can communicate differently with someone I've just met. I might have to explain myself, but with someone I've known who knows my thought processes, I might just give them like raise an eyebrow and that eyebrow speaks a thousand words to them and know exactly what I'm thinking. And, and it's almost like telepathic, like with my best friend, he knows how I think before I say anything. So he'll be like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'll just be like, mm. and he'll be like, I knew it. And, and, so it's just, <laughs> and so it's just those kind of things that, that I like to focus on and that I think are important in making something that's honest and realistic and relatable. Well, I think you are definitely succeeding. So <laughs> keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. Um, it, it was, I, again, I'm so glad that you reached out to us. Um, I'm going to flout that you're like, <laughs> social media works. You know, you reached out to us. We have no common, common denominators. <laughs> um, so uh, we're super happy to have you on. Um, oh, we're yeah. really excited to get to share your episode um, with everyone. Uh, yeah, we were able to bring in a completely new cast um, of faces um, to read for it. So, you know, this episode is like at the core of what this project has been about and is really just, like you said earlier, being able to connect with people that we wouldn't normally be able to connect with, really casting that net wide and using this opportunity to meet people from all over the place. You know, yeah. widen our creative circles. Um, Definitely. Make those connections for when we can finally be in the theater again. Because oh, like, oh, yeah. that comes, you know, in 2022. Don't say that. Don't say that. I'm hoping, I'm hoping for 2021, man. I, I, we're already working on our six month down the line. Like, what are we doing for the rest of this year? Because we're right. not being yeah, yeah. in the theater. Um, but right on, Chris. I'm so glad we were able to connect with you. Thank you so Absolutely. much for uh, connecting with us and taking the time out Same. of your day. I know we're all not yeah, doing thank much. thank you guys. <laughs> so, right on, man. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure, and uh, we hope to connect soon. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again. All right. Bye. Shelter in Play is produced by Spencer Thompson and Lucas James Nelson. We want to give a special thank you to Chris for joining us on this episode and sharing his short play, Growing Up. We also want to give a special thank you to Talia, Roan, and Teray for reading with us. We're going to be taking a short hiatus over the next few weeks to gather more scripts and hopefully bring more material your way. So thank you to everyone who's tuned in with us over these nine episodes, and we hope to be back soon. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Peace and love, everyone.